0: Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn to two places
1: with me. Uh, Put a note or something in Jonah chapter 2, and then also open up Matthew chapter 12. We'll be in both of those passages at the beginning of our time together. Jonah chapter 2, and then later, Matthew chapter 12. It is good to be back with you. Uh, We were on the road last weekend in Oklahoma, gathered for worship with my sister's family. Saw some friends, saw my family, and so it was good, but it's always good to come home. and So I'm glad to be here this morning. Jonah chapter 2. You know, they say that when you are at the bottom, there's nowhere to look but up. Uh, maybe you've been there before, maybe you're there now, and you can testify to that, that when you are at the bottom, as Pastor West would call it, rock bottom, there's nowhere else to look but up. And for the last few weeks, we've been following the story of Jonah, As he runs farther and farther away from God, farther away from God's calling on his life, from God's um, presence even. And he's running deeper and deeper into rebellion and disobedience and the havoc that really comes from that. We've seen that in the lives of the sailors and the storm and all that. And uh, last week, Pastor Wes looked at Jonah in his uh, worst moment in chapter 2 and showed us how Jonah was praying the psalms in the pit. Even in the darkest of times, the deepest moment of his despair, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him. It's a great model for us that when we find ourselves in a pit, likewise, cry out to the Lord, and he hears you. Uh, but this week, I'd like us to stay in chapter 2 again and consider another aspect of Jonah's cry. Uh, in the belly of the fish, I mean, imagine if you're Jonah, I mean, things have gone from worse to more worse, to worser, and you're in the belly of a fish, you're in the ocean, I, you're as good as dead. I think Jonah knew, like, you don't come back from this. Maybe you survive the waves, maybe you can swim to something fine, but when a fish eats you, that's it. You don't come back from that. But even in that pit of despair, and I think Jonah thinking just, well, this, this is it, this must be it, he cries to the Lord for rescue. And he sets his mind on the Lord, and he hopes for a resurrection of sorts. Now, he's not dead yet, but he might as well be. He is presumed dead. And he hopes for a resurrection, to be raised up by the power of God, out of the belly of the fish, um, and almost certain death. And then you fast forward eight centuries, and Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, records for us, Jesus has this encounter with the Pharisees. And he looks back to the story of Jonah and says, Hey, I'm going to show you a sign like what you saw with Jonah. That just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so also the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. And the connection is very clear. Just as Jonah was raised after three days, so also will Jesus be raised after three days. And of course, spoiler alert, we know the truth. He is raised gloriously after three days. And the connection here... It leads us to hope in our own lives, because as believers,
0: the resurrection of Jesus is not just great for him, but it's also great for us. It gives
1: us hope. We have a hope that our pit of despair that we find ourselves in, whether it's trials and tribulations or even to the point of death, that won't be the end, but that like Jonah, God will actually raise us up. It's a hope and a resurrection, a hope that death will not have the last laugh. And so what I hope to show us as we make our way from Jonah to Matthew and then even into 1 Corinthians 15, is that the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope in the pit that we too will be resurrected. That the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope in the pit that we too will be resurrected. So stand, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's word. I want to read the Matthew 12 passage. Matthew chapter 12 verses 38 through 42. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, if you're there, say word. Matthew records here, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher,
0: we wish to see a
1: sign from you. Uh, But he, Jesus, answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather around your word. We recognize that this is no mere book, but it is your word to us and for us. It is authoritative. It is perfect. It is powerful. And we ask, God, that you would give us wisdom to understand and humility to receive, that we might walk more in accordance with your will, that we might um, act and think more like Jesus as you teach us and shape us. Speak to us in this moment. We trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin this morning, actually, in the book of Jonah. So turn back over, Jonah chapter 2 where we will be and in verses 7 through 10 in this passage of chapter 2 we get a glimpse of Jonah setting his mind on the Lord and hoping for a resurrection we see a hope for resurrection let me read for us in Jonah chapter 2
0: just verses 7
1: through 10 look how he starts this verse 7 when my life was fainting away I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple
0: Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of
1: steadfast love.
0: But I, with the voice of
1: thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Here in verses 7 through 10, really chapter 2, Jonah is at his lowest. Uh, You know, we've kind of been following the story, and just when we think he couldn't get worse, he kind of does something. He just keeps going and going. And here in chapter 2, we find him at his lowest, both spiritually and physically. Spiritually, he's at his lowest because he's just run time and time again from the presence of the Lord, from God's call in his life. Um, He's not repenting, and he's just gone lower and lower into disobedience. But even physically here, it's interesting how the, the story, sort of the narrative, the way it's written, paints this out that even um, Jonah is actually going lower physically. Hey, George, could you turn me down quite a bit in here? Thank you. I feel like I'm in a pit.
0: It just got louder. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, But physically, Jonah is even lower. Remember at the beginning of the story, the the writer highlights how Jonah went down to Joppa, and then he went down to the boat, and then he went down in the boat, and now he's gone down in the water, and now at the last he's gone down into the fish. Jonah has spiritually and physically, just gone lower and lower in this story. And then here you are in the belly of a fish in the middle of the ocean. It's hard to imagine how things would get worse for Jonah. It's hard to imagine being Jonah, you're in the belly of a fish, and you think, I don't even know how to get out of this. What do you do in the belly of a fish? How could you get any lower? And In fact, Jonah describes just how low he's gotten, just how dark the situation is. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 2.
0: Let me read verses 1 through 6
1: and take note of, even if you want to underline, every time Jonah describes the darkness or the the situation that's overtaken him. Look at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Wow.
0: Jonah gets the seriousness of the situation.
1: He's crying out in despair, and he knows he's at his lowest point. Things cannot get worse. But there's this, there's this sort of change of events here. There's this 180-degree shift in these passages.
0: Because in his moment of despair, in this pit
1: of desperation, presumed death, he actually turns his thoughts to the Lord. Look at verse 7 again. If you're a highlighting person, highlight this. When my life was fainting away, what happened? I remembered the Lord. Boy, there's a novel thought, Jonah. Think about God. From the beginning of the story, Jonah has wanted nothing to do with God. You know, it's like you watch a movie and you're like, you know, the friend said, hey, it's going to be about this prophet. And you think, oh, great, prophet. He's, he probably loves God and uh, obeys God. He probably you know, kind of floats off the ground a little bit. He's so holy. And then the movie starts and you think, who's this guy? Who is this Jonah character that for the last two chapters or so has done everything opposite of what we would expect from the prophet of God? He's wanted nothing to do with him. And then suddenly, finally, in the pit, in the belly of the fish, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. This Hebrew word for remember, it means to focus your attention on something. Again, it's about time, Jonah. You know, you've, you've run as far as you can, you've hit rock bottom, and finally you focus on the Lord. Finally you remember. You know, Jonah is oftentimes referred to as an Old Testament prodigal. You know the story of the prodigal son? Very popular, most of us I'm sure know it. Luke chapter 15, the son comes to the father and says, hey, give me my inheritance. You know, I just, I'm done with you, give me my money. He goes off into a foreign land, lives it up, anything you want, he had it. Waste everything, ends up in poverty, taking care of pigs. The worst thing that you could imagine for an Israelite. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, we get this same sort of light bulb moment, the same sort of aha moment. Let me read verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. He had gone to his rock bottom, living it up in sin, didn't care about the Father. And finally, the light comes on. Luke records when he came to himself.
0: Just like Jonah,
1: I remembered the Lord. Finally, it hit me, and I remembered the Lord. Like the prodigal son, Jonah has this moment where he finally comes to himself. Okay, he's, he's run, and he's finally done running. He finally recognizes that he's run from the Lord long enough.
0: I wonder if if you can sympathize
1: with this at all. Have you ever found yourself in a hole you couldn't get out of? Found yourself in a situation where you had run and run and run as far as you could and finally could run no farther? God puts a call on your life and you say, not interested. No, it's too much change. I like the way things are. I don't want to do that, and so I go and I go this way. And maybe for years... And this trail of destruction follows you as you live in disobedience to God's call. And then finally, you just hit the bottom. And you're like, I can't go anymore. I can't run any farther. You remember the Lord.
0: Maybe you've been living in sin. And I've mentioned this before from the pulpit. You know, this idea of, well, it's just me and it's nobody else. I'm going to do my thing. And I'm going to live it up. And destruction follows you. And finally, one day, you just say, I'm
1: done. I'm tired. I remember the Lord. This is, if you find yourself in this situation, this is really the first time I can look at the book of Jonah and say, be like Jonah. If you find yourself at the bottom of that pit that you've dug for yourself, or maybe that has just come along outside of your control, Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. He prays to God for rescue. He recognizes that only God can save him. There in verse 9, the last of verse 9, the quote, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's Psalm 3.8. In the belly of the fish, who do I call? Nobody but the Lord.
0: Nobody can rescue
1: me out of this seemingly insurmountable challenge. Nobody can save me from the unsavable situation except God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is confident, which is surprising to me. It's striking. Even in the belly of the fish, he's confident that God will hear his cry, and save him. Did you catch? Uh, where is it? Verse four. He says, "Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." I mean, even in the darkness, he's describing all the terrible things. All of this has happened. Yet I will. I will see you again. I will see that temple again. There's this hope and this confidence that God will hear him and save him. He puts his hope in a resurrection. He's hoping that God will raise him up again. The idea is it's it's as if his thought is in his head. My sin has brought me to this point, but I'm confident it won't keep me here. God will raise me up. And, of course, God does exactly that. It's not the most um, romantic end to the story, but it's miraculous nonetheless. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It just, oh, yeah, spit him out, done. But could Jonah have done that? Of course not. It's the power of God at work to save him. And if we're honest, from our perspective, Jonah didn't seem too savable at the moment. And yet God saves him. You may be here this morning in a pit of destruction. Maybe sin has taken you farther than you wanted to go. Uh, Maybe you've uh, heard the call, rejected the call, and said, no, I I don't want to do that. You may be in a pit this morning, but it doesn't have to stay that way.
0: I want to encourage you, like Jonah,
1: remember the Lord.
0: Remember it is who controls your life. We've seen the sovereignty of
1: God in Jonah already. Remember who it is who controls the waves and the sea, all these things, and remember the Lord. Like Jonah, we at times find ourselves in a pit. Uh, We may fear that its end is death. And, of course, ultimately we know that short of Jesus coming back, death will be our end. It's not uh, escapable. We will face the pit of death. But like Jonah,
0: we ought to hope
1: for a resurrection. And hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, you do. You hope for a resurrection. Because we hope to be rescued from our greatest enemy, death. Nobody, nobody conquers that. Everyone will fall to that enemy at some point. But we hope for a resurrection. Now, as we think about this and we're hoping for this resurrection, the question is, well, is it just sort of a, a blind hope? Like, Boy, Jesus did something, so I hope it works out for me. One pastor I heard called it a holy hoping for the best. Well, no, it's not that sort of faith. It's not a blind faith, a stab in the dark, hope things turn out. No, we are confident in our hope in resurrection
0: for the express purpose that Jesus has provided for us a demonstration
1: of resurrection. That's our second point this morning, that there has been a demonstration. We have actually seen God's power at work to save someone, raise them from the dead. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12, where we started our time together. Matthew chapter 12. The context of the story here, if you go back and you read all of 12, is earlier in chapter 12, Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they're always sort of just creeping around in the background looking for some reason to get rid of Jesus. They come up to him at the beginning of our passage and they say, hey, Jesus, do a trick for us. Hey, Jesus, show us something. Blow our minds. Now, the idea behind that is, Jesus, we're not convinced yet. Okay, withered hand. Okay, fine, that was impressive. But we're not convinced yet that you are who you say you are. So do something else. Do another trick for us. And Jesus says, no. No, I won't do that. He says in verse 39, uh, he, let me read it for us again. He answered him, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah.
0: Jesus says, look, I'm not doing tricks for you.
1: I'm not doing all these things that you want me to do just so you can be satisfied. He says, I'll give you one sign. It's the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah, verse 40, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth.
0: Here we have this
1: clear reference to Jesus' coming death and resurrection. You get glimpses of it all throughout the gospel story. People aren't quite sure what's happening, but there's this clear as day reference to what Jesus is going to do. That he will die on a cross for our sins, he will be buried in a tomb, and for three days he's presumed dead. You know, we, we spent time thinking about what the disciples would have thought right after that the despair the depression. They're all hiding because they think the Romans are going to come for them. All hope is lost. Jesus says the Son of Man will be in the heart for three days. But the implication here is that it will only be three days. That after three days, just like Jonah is raised from the fish, so also will the Son of Man be raised up.
0: The greatest demonstration of God's power in the life of Jonah is his miraculous rescue from the belly of the fish.
1: It's Jonah's resurrection of sorts. That's the greatest demonstration of God's power. And likewise, the greatest demonstration of God's power in the life of Jesus and the greatest demonstration of Jesus' own claims to be God in the flesh, the Son of God, is his resurrection from the dead. Okay, there were other people around in that day. There were prophets and healers. People could do tricks. People could do things. Everybody could perform miracles. Plenty of people had come along claiming even to be Messiah. Plenty of people had come along who were impressive and fun to watch, and they could do cool things.
0: But nobody ever conquered
1: the grave. Nobody could do that. No prophet, no religious leader, no messianic figure. No one could conquer the grave. The grave would be for Jesus what the belly of the fish was for Jonah, his greatest challenge.
0: Jonah's in the whale. From a human
1: perspective, watching the movie play out, oh, it must be done. Roll credits, because you don't come back from that. Same thing, human perspective. Jesus is in the tomb. Oh, story's over. Everything we hoped, all our hopes and our aspirations, everything we thought we knew about Jesus, it's done now. And yet, suddenly, he rises again. Three days later, Jesus bursts out of the tomb. Hope is back. Hope is restored. He conquered sin and death. And he showed us that he wasn't just some trickster like all these other guys walking around doing cool tricks. No, he had power to conquer the grave. The power of God at work to conquer our greatest foe and our certain end. If there is any doubt at all in your mind as to whether God has the power to help you out in whatever pit you're in or whether God has the power to raise you up from the dead,
0: all you need to do is look at the life of Jesus. All you have to
1: do is look at the fact that Jesus was resurrected, and that should convince you. Because what trial could be greater than the grave? And more than that, even if we go to the grave, we know someone who's been there first. We know someone who's been there and conquered it. And Jesus' own resurrection is proof That the grave is not in control. The grave is not in control because God is in control. Any doubt we have, I'm just not sure God can do it. You look at the resurrection. You look at the empty tomb. You look at Christ arisen. But you know, not everybody's convinced by that. If you look at the larger context here of chapter 12, we don't have time for this. Uh, you see that these Pharisees, they're just wanting more miracles and signs. I mean, they've seen the man with the withered hand. That would have done it for me. Um, I mean, they, these are the guys who follow along. They've seen the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, they've seen people, um, you know, you think Jairus' daughter. You think uh, the man who was crippled. They, they see the, the lame can walk, the blind can see. They see all these miracles, and they say, Jesus, hey, do one more.
0: Well, I'm not convinced,
1: Jesus. Do one more. They would not believe that Jesus was the Son of God because no miracle would ever be enough for them. They had hard hearts and blind eyes.
0: You know, Jesus, put on a show for us, Jesus, then I'll
1: believe. Maybe you're like that this morning. Maybe you know people. They say, look, you know, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard the stories. But until I see something in my own life, I'm not convinced. Until, you know, I look around at my troubles and I'm business failing and marriage failing, all these things going on. I haven't seen Jesus do a thing for me. I'm not convinced.
0: Jesus would look at someone like that and he'd
1: say, I've already done all that needs to be done. I've done all the miracles as recorded here in scripture. I've even conquered the grave. What more can there be? For some people, it's not enough. Jesus put on a dog and pony show so I can be impressed. Then I'll believe. No. Friends, if you don't if you won't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, even after he's conquered the grave, then no miracle is going to be enough. No sign, no, you know, writing in the clouds. None of that's going to be enough if we don't believe what's already happened. He's given us proof and all he says is to take him at his word. You know, Jesus, do, just do this for me, then I'll believe. He says, no, I've done it. No, Jesus, well, you know, that was then. Do something. Do something now. No says, if you won't take me at my word, if you won't put your hope and confidence in what I've already done, then no miracle is going to be enough. Maybe you're here this morning and that's you. Maybe you're waiting. Maybe you're on the fence. You're like, I'm kind of okay with this Jesus thing. I'm more than I used to be, but I'm still not convinced. I want to point you to the historical reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus conquered the grave He conquered sin and death. And just as a reminder, he was there because of us. Our sin put him on the cross. He pays our penalty. He goes, he conquers sin and the death, conquers that, rises again. And the the call is to then say, I believe it. To put my hope and my confidence in this because there's already been a demonstration.
0: You know, you're in the pit of despair, you're, you're in this pit of, of just death, and, and you're
1: waiting, and you think, what hope is there? Well, I can put my hope in the fact that there's already been one who's conquered that.
0: There's already been one who has proven to
1: me the power of God. The resurrection of Jesus it's not just this sort of impressive miracle that we look at from afar. It's not just something in an old history book, and we're like, oh, that was cool back then, but that really has nothing to do with us. No, you don't look at that and you say, hey, thanks, Jesus, cool demonstration, but meanwhile, I'm still over here in my problems. No, 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 no. The glory of the resurrection is that while Jesus demonstrated it in his own life, he promises it to every single believer.
0: So it's not just a, hey, great for
1: you, but not for me. It's a, you've done it in your life, and you've done it for every single believer now to be able to participate in the resurrection. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Very common passage. I know you've probably got it memorized, but we'll read it anyway. 1 Corinthians 15,
0: beginning in verse
1: 50, as we see here, a promise of resurrection. Number three, a promise of resurrection. Verse 50, Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory.
0: O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting?
1: The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt excluded from something? Have you ever felt like something's happening and like, I don't get to participate in it? It could be something as simple as, you know, people bring food to the office and they didn't ask you what you wanted. You're know, like, oh, we had great lunch today. Did you get some? Well, nobody told me. Uh, maybe it's a friend group at school, you know, the cool kids, and it's like
0: there's this special thing over there that I can't
1: be a part of. Uh, for me, it happens every time I fly.
0: Because I used to work for LSU, and I traveled a lot and on, on airplanes, and so I had status. And so I got lots of first-class
1: upgrades. And, you know, I was the guy, you know, you get on first, and you get your drink and comfortable, and then I look at the commoners as they go to the back of the plane. That was me. And I always was like, you know what, I'm not going to be that guy when I get to first class. I'm going to maintain my roots. Nope. I was corrupted. As soon as I got there, I was like, ah, oh, this is the life.
0: Uh, well, then I, you know, I quit that job and did other things. And I, over time, if you don't know, if you don't use it, you, you lose your status. And so now, when I fly, I'm the commoner
1: going to the back of the airplane, and I'm sitting there looking from row 40 next to the bathroom. I'm looking up there at first class with like real food, real silverware, pillows, drinks, all that stuff.
0: I'm like the River Jordan looking across
1: at the Promised Land,
0: milk and honey,
1: but I can't go over there. The resurrection of Jesus is not like that.
0: The resurrection of Jesus is not
1: something that we look at from afar and say, wow, that's so incredible. That's so amazing. But I I just can't get there. That's for those people. It doesn't do anything for me. It's not like that. It's not just some historical event that has no bearing on our lives. No, the resurrection of Jesus actually gives us today in 2021 hope, and confidence that we, too, will be raised from the dead one day. That we, too, will fully participate in the resurrection from the grave. This is what Paul meant in Romans 6. Pastor West read this for us earlier, Romans 6, uh, verses 4 and 5. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly, I'm glad Paul says, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You say like, Jesus, I'm with you, and I get the the death you you died, I get that benefit, but I don't get the other thing. No, no, no. If you're in the death that he died, you get the life that he lived as well. If you get the death that he paid for our sin, you get the resurrection from the grave as well.
0: Paul says we will certainly
1: be united with him in a resurrection. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians four fourteen another familiar passage, one we often read at funerals. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, We believe it. Jesus died and rose again, and so also we believe that we will die and rise again. I mean, what the resurrection of Jesus was God's victory over sin and death. Put a stamp on it, it's done. Sin and death no more. Jesus has conquered it. And the coming day in the future, should the Lord tarry in his coming and we're all gone, uh, when we rise again, that will be for us, that final stamp, that, that blast of a trumpet, that declaration that even in our lives as well, sin and death has finally been conquered. Death will not have the final say. Paul writes about what this, this reality will be in chapter 15, this resurrection body. Anybody looking forward to a resurrection body? I'm a young man. I'm already looking forward to that. We long for something better than this. You know? I don't want to hurt anymore. Um, 1 John 3, verse 2, one of my favorite passages says that we will see him as he is. Anybody ready to see Jesus as he is? Oh, man. And then you look at Revelation 21. John writes of this glorious picture of what the new earth will be like. No more tears, no sorrow, no the pain. None of the nonsense we have to deal with that sin has just wrecked creation. What a joy, what a glorious future that we hope in. It's not just a blind hope, it's a confident hope in our future resurrection. It's a hope that sustains us here and now. I mean, if, if all we hope in is the here and now, well, we're in trouble. If I just look at it like, oh, I just need to find something in the world that will give me hope. Oh, good luck with that. No, we look to the future. Our confidence, our hope in this future resurrection, it sustains us here and now. It upholds us. Because we look around and we say, though all of this just crumbles, all of this melts away. There is coming a day when we will rise again with our Lord Jesus. And as I thought about how to apply this and maybe get a little bit more personal, I, I thought of uh, four scenarios or situations that we find ourselves in at one time or another. Think about them as four pits that we might be in. You might be in one this morning. You might be in more than one. The first is the pit of condemnation. This is specifically for those who may be here this morning or watching online who you would say, I'm looking from the outside.
0: Not a follower of Jesus yet,
1: haven't signed the form, haven't, haven't gone over. I'm not convinced yet. You find yourself this morning in a pit of condemnation. Maybe you're on the side saying, you know what, I, I, I want to come in. It sounds great, I want that, but you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've gone. I'm like Jonah. I'm, I'm in the belly of the whale over here because my sin has just wreaked havoc in my life. Maybe that's you this morning. Well, the resurrection of Jesus for you ought to give you confidence that God can and will forgive you of your sins. Because remember, the resurrection is not divorced from the crucifixion, which is not divorced from the incarnation, which is not divorced from eternity past when God chose to save a rebellious people.
0: The resurrection of Jesus ought to give you confidence
1: that God can and will forgive you, that he will raise you out of the pit and will make you new. Paul's language, you will be raised to walk in the newness of life. The resurrection of Jesus is proof positive. Can God really save me? Yes. Does God really have the power to forgive that thing I did? Yes. Can God really do that for me? Yes. Yes, he can. The resurrection shows you this morning that God not only has the power to save you, but the plan to save you. You may find yourself in a pit of condemnation this morning. But for believers, you may find yourselves also in a pit of sin of sorts. Maybe you've been uh, fighting sin for years, maybe decades even.
0: Maybe your life verse is the Romans 7 passage where Paul's like, every time I try to do good, evil's
1: right there. Day after day, you fight the same sin. You think, I've walked with the Jesus. You would think, I wouldn't want that anymore, but yet it just, it just lingers. Maybe that's you this morning. You fight sin tooth and nail, and you're almost at the point of saying, I just I can't go on any longer. What hope is there? Well, the resurrection is also hope for you. Because in the resurrection, this is something I long for,
0: we're not only
1: freed from the power of sin, we get that in Christ's death already, but in the resurrection, as we long for that future that's coming, we will also be freed from the presence of sin. Anybody ready for a day when you won't have to fight against sin anymore? Anybody else just worn out, longing for rest? Man, what a day. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us hope that we will actually have that one day. That just as he rose from the grave, so also with we, with that incorruptible flesh, in that land of perfect, um, no fear and death and sin and all those things, we will have that, and we will finally rest and not have to fight against sin. Maybe you're here this morning, thirdly, and you're in a pit of suffering. As the hymn says, trials are buffeting. You resonate with Jonah. Waves are coming in, the seaweeds around my neck, everything is dark. That's my life right now. Financial problems, marriage, family, kids, work, job loss, physical sickness, caring for someone, hurting, you name it, I've got it. Maybe that's you this morning. A pit of suffering, the brokenness of the world on full display, the the effects of the fall 24-7. What hope is there? The hope is in the resurrection. That is, when God calls us up, we burst out of our graves,
0: that along with that is
1: an entire remaking of all things new. All the old is done away with, all the sin and brokenness is done away with, and everything is made new, and we live in a world free of struggle. You say, look, I, you, know, I just, you don't know my struggles right now, I can't go on. I don't know your struggles, but I know that if you put your hope in a resurrection, it doesn't fix things, but it helps to sustain. We put our hope in a coming day when there won't be Marriage and family struggles, job loss, health decline, all those things. We won't look, we won't turn on the news and see just sin run amok in our world. We long for that day, and it's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us that confident hope. You may be in the pit of suffering this morning. I want to encourage you look to the resurrection. And then, fourthly, you may be this morning in a pit of death, like Jonah. You know, they say two things are guaranteed in life, death, and taxes. Whether it's your death or someone else's, no one lives forever.
0: Maybe you're at a point in life where you're coming to grips with your own mortality.
1: Maybe you were the person who was always like, I never get sick, and I don't take any medicines, and then then suddenly time starts catching up. Maybe you're coming to grips with the mortality of a friend or or a loved one. Maybe you're watching a parent decline in health. Maybe you're losing loved ones or have. Or maybe it's your own life as you realize that I'm not as strong as I used to be. Time keeps on ticking. You may find yourself in the pit of death. And for you, again, the hope is that death will not have the final say. The death will not have the final laugh. 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting?
0: We feel the
1: sting of death. There's no victory in death. Jesus has the victory over it.
0: If you're in the pit of death this morning... Or any of the others.
1: My plea for you is to look to the resurrection of Jesus. you to know, say, well, that doesn't fix my problems. I know that. But it points us to something greater. You know, Jonah said, when my life was fainting away, what did I do? I remembered the Lord. When my life is fainting away and everything seems wrong, I remember the Lord.
0: When Jonah hit rock bottom, he looked up. Nowhere else to go when he hit rock
1: bottom. He remembered the Lord, cried out to him, and was saved from the belly of the fish. Eight centuries later, Jesus was laid in a tomb. Death thought it won, thought it was over.
0: But after three days, he rose from
1: the grave, conquering sin and death. And in so doing, he gives hope to every single believer that we too will rise from the dead. Death, you think you've won. You think you've won. No. Jesus has won.
0: If you're here this morning
1: and you would say, you know what? I'm kind of in a pit, or more than one.
0: I wonder if you will be like Jonah and remember
1: the Lord. Maybe you will turn from, maybe the pit is of your own doing. You say, I've, man, I've been Jonahing up. I've been living over here doing my thing. I want to call you back to remember the Lord. Or maybe you're in a pit not of your own doing, but the fall and, and brokenness of the world has surrounded you. Remember the Lord. Some days are easier than others, but remember the Lord.
0: In the resurrection of Jesus,
1: there's this promise for all who believe. Okay? It's not the first class and we're looking from the back. No, it's a promise for all who believe. All who come to him for forgiveness and new life will also find in him a future resurrection. What a glorious hope. You come to Jesus and you don't just get sort of a band-aid. Oh, this will get you through today. No clean slate forgiven of our sin, righteousness credited to us, and as if that weren't enough, eternal life to come.
0: What a glorious hope. It's a hope that carries us through the darkest of
1: life circumstances.
0: No trial, no tribulation, no sorrow
1: or suffering. No scheme of the devil will have the final say for us. The final say will come from our Heavenly Father when He shouts out, Rise up. Let me leave you with these words. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be.
0: There will be no sorrows there, no more burdens to bear, no more
1: sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Let me pray for us.
0: Our Father in heaven, we are uh, grateful.
1: We are grateful that this world, this life, is not the end, it's not our our uh, final destination, but we are grateful for a hope in a resurrection, not a blind hope, not just a hope it works out, but a confidence as we long for the day when Jesus will return. We will rise up from our graves, join you forever to live in perfect peace and harmony with our great God. I pray, Father, that all of us having heard this today would be encouraged, not just now, but even in the coming days, weeks, and months, maybe this would be what comes back to mind as we face new challenges. We look to you to raise us from the pit. We cry out with Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite the band to come back up as we sing a song of response. Uh, would you stand with me? And uh, let's worship the Lord in singing one last time together.